Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for your greater glory. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, you'll have to forgive me if I'm a little rusty. It's been three months since I've preached a sermon. (laughs) That wasn't necessarily planned, but we had a little rain last week. (laughs) Made me think of that song by Randy Newman. What has happened down here is the the winds have changed. Clouds roll in from the north and they start to rain. Rained real hard and rained for a real long time. Six feet of water in the streets of Evangeline. Louisiana, Louisiana, they're trying to wash us away. They're trying to wash us away. We just changed Carolina to that. Carolina, they're trying to wash us away. Been people trying to wash South Carolina away for a long time. (laughs) Somehow it just keeps... Stand here, standing firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this, this afternoon I, I want to talk about credentials. That's what you're supposed to get today. Credentials. I don't know if you've noticed it on your computer But every time I get on my computer to check the news, there's someone telling me something that they think I need to know. (laughs) Sixteen signs your thyroid is acting up. (laughs) Six sneaky causes of high blood pressure you know nothing about. Fourteen waterfalls you need to see before you die. Eight amazing foods to keep a flat stomach. (laughs) Six things you never say to your husband, but should. Thirty-four things you should never say to your wife, but have. Thirteen signs your dog is cheating on you. I made that one up. Pretty good, isn't it? Sixteen things extremely likable people do. I didn't even bother to read that one. I want to say, does the person who's writing these things have any credentials that I should pay any attention to? dig deep enough into their lives and it's probably laden with hypocrisy. I suppose most of you this morning are happy for this day. I bet Martha's family's happy for it. God knows Robert's happy for it. Many of you who've been praying for Martha are happy for it. I suppose Martha's happy. (laughs) But I need to say this in all seriousness. 
She's not being ordained as a presbyter in the church of God to make her happy. And if she thought it would, she's in for a big surprise. (laughs) It's not about being happy. It's about being a servant. An under-shepherd of the good shepherd who gave us the model of laying down our lives for the sheep. met with a young man not all that long ago who aspires to be a priest. I asked him if there was anything he was afraid about. He said, no. Most of the time I feel badly of the things I do say, wish I hadn't. But I feel badly about the thing I didn't say. I should have said, maybe not now, but you will. (laughs) Or you should. And if you don't, it's because, as Stryker said to Frodo in Lord of the Rings, you don't know what hunts you. We have a spiritual enemy who seeks to dismantle us. We have a God who expects greater service for those who are called to higher office. And we shall have to be accountable for our teaching. And sometimes the sheep are more concerned with the 13 things that tell them their dog is cheating on them than the Word of God. And they get itchy ears and they don't want to hear what the Word of God says. And sometimes the sheep attack. There's all kinds of things that will keep this office from making you happy. But none of those things are the most important thing. The most important thing is it can't. Because there's only one who can make the soul happy. And that is God. And anything that gets in His place is idolatry. And underneath every sin is the sin of idolatry. That something would take the place of God, even if it's the ministry. That's what makes it so difficult for the married person or the person married to the priest. Because sometimes he or she thinks that he or she is competing with God when the person has made the ministry their idol. that make any sense? So having said that, let's talk about credentials. Because you're going to get a piece of paper today that will give you credentials. But I still remember a a, a sermon Bishop uh, Fitzsimmons Allison gave at the graduation from seminary when I still had another year left, but he was preaching at that graduation service. He said, you all who are graduating, you're getting a certificate that says you've completed the course. It's your credentials. But what's written on that piece of paper means nothing in comparison to what the Holy Spirit has written on the soft, fleshy tissue of your heart. 
Those are the credentials for ministry. And I want to talk about three of them this afternoon. That every priest needs to have written on the soft, fleshy tissue of his or her heart the spiritual credentials. And the first one is that you be a person of prayer. Person of prayer. And I don't mean just intercession. Oh, I still remember as a young parish priest at St. Mark's Church in Shafter, California, sitting there on the chancel steps on Saturdays and sometimes on Sunday mornings. And I'd look out on the pews and I knew where everybody sat. And I could intercede for them. And I did. And that is an important ministry for the priest. The ministry of intercession. And I know, Martha, you're an intercessor. And a lot of the women who are here are intercessors because they're daughters of the king. And that's part of the ministry of the intercessor. But sometimes the intercessor makes a mistake, you know. I would like to say the intercessors, they are the air cover that allows the troops to take land on the ground. But sometimes the intercessors are so busy flying over the mass units that the troops on the front line aren't prayed for. And pretty soon the ones on the front line end up in the mass units because the air cover isn't focused upon those who are leading, but upon those who are in the mass units. So let me just say, if you're an intercessor, don't forget those, the strong and your passion for those who are suffering and are weak. Having said that, let me move. That's not my point. I've got a lot of side issues. I haven't preached in, 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 in 90 days. You may remember that when this gets real long. I'm not talking about, though, that the priest should be primarily an intercessor. The priest has to be a person of prayer so that they encounter the living God in such a way that it changes things. It was the late summer of 1741 in a small little house on Brook Street in London. And a servant was busy preparing food for the eccentric composer that he had been giving food, putting the food down on a tray in the man's room for the last week. And most of the time when he picked up the food, it was untouched. The man was working on a libretto. His name was George Friedrich Handel. The man, the servant, brought the food into the room on this occasion, once again expecting the man not to touch it. And when he swung open the door to put the food down, he saw the composer weeping, tears flowing down his cheeks. And the composer, embarrassed and shocked at the man coming in at that time with the food, gave an explanation. He said, I did think, I did see the heaven itself open 
and the great God Himself before my eyes. He had just finished composing the Hallelujah Chorus. He had got a glimpse of the glory of God and it came out of him. Evelyn Under used to say, Underhill used to say, first, the awestruck recognition of the presence of God and then the doing of His will. Isaiah said in the, in the lesson today, in the year that King Uzziah died, that is, in the year when all men wondered if good or evil would come to the throne in Israel, when all wondered who would replace the one who had been there for over 40 years, when every heart was full of fear and anxiety as to who would step into that throne, I saw the Lord, high and lifted up, sitting on the only throne that matters. You catch that? In those times of transition, who's on the throne? That's what's important. I saw Him and His train, His, his followers, those worshiping Him filled the temple. And the seraphim were crying one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of His glory. And at their voices, the thresholds of the temple trembled. How important is it for us called to the ordained ministry to be struck by the awestruck presence of God and then to do His will. I lived in Pittsburgh for a, for a number of years and we had people visit us and they almost always wanted to go see Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water. What a beautiful masterpiece. Architects, students of architects describe it as one of the great masterpieces of the 21st century. So we'd get in our car and we'd drive these people up to Bear Run where falling water was. And a docent would start taking them around. And you know, I'd been through it so many times I could have done it myself. But sometimes, you know, the docents got all consumed with all sorts of, of side issues. Albert Einstein slept in this room. This is a Diego Rivera painting. This vase is from this. So-and-so stepped across this threshold. And so often I'd want to interrupt and say, The house! The house! The house! We've come here for the house! Sometimes clergy, they get all tied up about side issues. And you want to say, God! God! God, it's about God! It's not about your ministry! It's not about your people because they're not your people. Last time I checked, it was the good shepherd that died to rescue them. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. And he calls them by name and no one shall snatch them not out of your hand, but out of his hand. 
So he's the one that it's about. Let's make sure people, if we get one chance to meet with them, and don't tell them about the good shepherd, but about what side of the altar the candle should be on, then we're talking about the Diego Rivera painting and not the house. Does that make any sense? First, the awestruck recognition of the presence of God and then the doing of His will. Well, the next thing is that the presbyter or the priest needs to be a person of the Word. A person of the Word. The Word of God that took upon Himself human flesh that He might reveal to us, and this book tells about it. Tells about preparing for his coming, tells about his coming, and tells about his coming again. And that is what we need to preach. It is not ourselves we proclaim, but Jesus Christ and him crucified, said St. Paul, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. I love the way Michael Ramsey talks about the parish priest today. He wrote, he is pledged to be a dedicated student of theology and his study need not be vast in its extent, but it will be deep in its integrity, not in order that he may be erudite, but in order that he may be simple. That he may make it simple and clear. You know, when St. Augustine of Hippo was ordained, by his bishop. He didn't want to be a priest, by the way. Didn't want to be ordained. And any time he knew there was a vacancy, he didn't show up. He dreaded the thought. Gregory of Nazianza dreaded the thought. The great saints of God have dreaded the call because they knew what was expected of him and they knew the suffering. So when he was ordained, five years after he had his conversion experience, and he had had his conversion experience when he was in a garden struggling to give up his attachment to the flesh, he heard a voice crying, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. And when he picked up the book that he was reading, which was the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, his Eyes fell upon these words, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And the conversion happened. God transformed his life. Five years later, he was ordained. And the first thing he did is write to his bishop and, and say, I need some time to study the scriptures. I need some time to saturate myself in the word of God. I've been working with theology and philosophy. I need to know the word. Martha, one time you told me that you didn't want just to be a Bible teacher. Well, if you don't want to be a Bible teacher, we don't want you to be a priest. And I know you want to be a Bible teacher. That's nothing to be embarrassed about. 
teacher of the Word of God. That's what we're called to be. That's our credentials. Step away from that and we have no credentials. It doesn't matter how many people have laid hands on us. And who they were. Because we've stepped away from the authority. This is the word upon which we stand when we speak to the world. It is the church thing the church stands under when it lives its life. A person of the word. John Wesley once described himself as a man of one book. He had written all kinds of books. But he was a man of one book. The third credential is that you be a person of the community. The community here, wherever you're serving, and the larger community out there. And increasingly, the larger community out there, they don't want us around. They don't understand us. The caller often puts them off. The organized church, they don't much like. A priest told me the other day, he was walking down the street in some city and someone came up to him and just and said, just say no to little boys. He was a married man, an Anglican priest. But the man saw the collar and what used to be something that drew them to the person now draws them away from us. It's harder and harder to be a person of the community because they distrust us because the church has not lived up to its calling and has stepped away from the word of God and doesn't give the truth as it ought to be taught and the church has become weaker and weaker and yet we still have to be people in the community and you know one of the things I was studying during my sabbatical was uh, T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets. And there's a section in there that goes like this. That we are distracted from distractions by distractions. We're a culture distracted from distractions by distractions. Isn't that what all those things are about? Six ways to do this, eight ways to do that, 14 things you need to do, 13 things you need to think about, 45 things you need not to do. Isn't that things that just distract us? You get on to look at the news and pretty soon you're distracted because you're looking at the 16 things that you wished your dog wouldn't be doing with somebody. That's a distraction from a distraction from a distraction. And into those distractions comes the priest. And the people don't know what to do with that. Because we're all about meaning. And eternity. And the things that matter. And they haven't thought about that for a long time in many cases. I, I remember what Bishop Stanway used to do when he was the Dean and President of Trinity Seminary. He was traveling all over the country to raise funds for this new fledgling seminary just getting going. And he'd sit next in, in, in the airplane to some businessman. And he'd turn to the businessman and say, Tell me about what your plans are for the future. 
The man says, well, you know, I figure I have about 10 more years as the corporate head of this company. And then I plan to retire. So Bishop Stanway would say, and then? Well, we have a little place down in Hilton Head. And we're going to spend part of our time in the winters in Hilton Head. And we're going to keep our place up here in New England. He'd say, how long are you going to do that? says, well, you know, I figure I'll have 10 or 15 good years and then we'll probably have to decide which one of those places we'll live in. And then? Well, I, I guess eventually we'll, we'll have to get into a, a downsize a bit. And then? Well, I, I guess maybe we'll be in some personal care home or something like that. And then? You see how insignificant the distractions are if we haven't thought about the big things of life. So that's why the priest needs to be a person in the community bringing the presence of God. Not just into sorrow, which we need to do, but into the frivolousness that distracts them from distractions by distractions. And of course, the parson of the congregation. You know the term parson comes from the medieval word for the person of the community. The priest at the altar is the person who represents the community before God and the person who represents God to the community. The parson. It's a pretty good term. That's one of the credentials. Three credentials that are far more important than any piece of paper. A person of prayer, a person of the word, and a person of the community. That's what you call to be, along with everything else. <laughs> but if you neglect those, you've lost your authority. Well, it's customary that the preacher have the ordinance stand and give a personal charge. So, Martha, would you stand? But since Robert has been a part of this, even sharing your cancer with you, I'm going to have him stand beside you anyway. Some of the clergy have heard me tell this story. N.T. Wright, when he was at Oxford, said that the president of the of the university was a man by the name of Sir Oliver Franks. Sir Oliver Franks had been a professor of philosophy, had been a, a, a dean of one of the colleges, then became a part of the diplomatic corps of England, and then became the ambassador to, uh, for, from the UK to uh, the United States, and then eventually became, once again, uh, head of Oxford. But he used to tell the story that while he was the ambassador to the United States, it was during the Cold War, during the time of NATO was just getting going, he had daily conversations on the telephone because of the cable that ran under the ocean in those days with the President of the United States. 
But he said when there was a very important message that needed to be conveyed, they didn't talk about it over the phone because they figured for the most part the line was tapped. And so they brought that important document in an attache briefcase across the Atlantic. Unless it was a super, 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 super important thing, and then they sent it in a regular envelope. <laughs> Just a regular envelope, because they figured no one would ever mistake the envelope for the important message. Ever wonder why God called the two of you? You're just two envelopes. You're not a diplomatic attache case. It's like what St. Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that no one will mistake the vessel for the message. Just envelopes. It's not about you. It's about the message. And in order to be able to convey the message, you have to be a person of prayer. And in order to know what the message is, you have to know the Word of God. And in order to convey the Word of God to the people, you have to be out there in the community and in the congregation. Which means you have to be a person of prayer, a person of the Word, and a person of the community. Your credentials. That's your call. It takes the pressure off to know you're just an envelope. (laughs) Nobody expects you to be grandiose. They just expect you to convey the goods. Don't forget that. Prayer, word, and community. Let us pray. Father, you have brought us to this uh, day through a long, circuitous route. But we are here. Now come with your Holy Spirit and give Martha the credentials she needs or remind her at times what they are. That she may be an envelope that contains the message of salvation to a dying, broken, and hurting world and a faithful community of believers. In Jesus' name, Amen.